morning, friends. My name is Marla, and I am a partner here at Mercy View. Um, tonight, I'll be reading from Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. It seems that uh, we are not supposed to have any videos play this evening um, because both I recorded with Ryan twice and both of them failed to work. And then this one seems to not want to work, even though it worked earlier when I tested it, not on the big screen. So it's okay. That was uh, a video from Acts 29. Uh, if you didn't know, Mercy View is a part of Acts 29, which is a church planning network. Um, it's, a, it's a network of churches interdenominationally that seeks to plant churches that plant churches. That was just a little bit of the vision from them about uh, why we're planting churches, uh, some of the focus on why we plant churches worldwide. Um, if you'd like to know more about Acts 29, there's actually some stuff out at the Information Center. Uh, we got this brochure that tells a little bit more about uh, the network as a whole. I uh, got some statistics on uh, just where we are as a network. Um, and then this little card here is a QR code that just shares some testimonies of what God's doing around the world uh, with churches that are being planted through the Acts 29 network. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Trey. I serve on staff here this evening overseeing discipleship. Uh, and my family actually came to Mercy View five years ago, uh, just a little over five years ago, so that I could walk through uh, the church planting residency that we have here at Mercy View. That's why we showed up. We actually thought that this time... Uh, that by this time this year, when we were sitting here last year and I got to speak on Church Planting Sunday, that we'd probably be getting ready to launch out in a few months to go and plant a church. Um, and little did we know that God had some other plans. And uh, the Hoyts left and went to take over Albuquerque Church and uh, really get that work going. Um, and the elders asked me to step into Ryan's staff role. And so for uh, the time being, this is where we're at, and uh, this is where our eyes are at. Yet there's still this future hope inside of me to one day plant or replant a church in some place that needs to see the hope of the gospel spring up. And if the mission moment with Ryan or the video from Acts 29 that didn't play or the image on the screen uh, hadn't given it away tonight is about this thing that we call church planning. 
And so maybe you're new to church, or even if you're not new to church, maybe uh, you're new to the term and the idea of church planning. But the concept is really pretty simple. Church planning is the act of sending and uh, sending faithful and qualified men to establish and pastor new churches in places where the gospel needs to be fully and faithfully proclaimed. And so last year I got a chance to preach on this Sunday as well, and I pointed out that we call it planning, right? Not just starting, because we believe that God's desire is for us to plant our feet in the ground and grow deep roots in the communities where he calls us to go. We're embedding ourselves and our lives into that community and we're doing what God told his, uh, his exiled people in the Old Covenant in the book of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 to do. Remember, they're kicked out of the promised land because of their unfaithfulness and there's a remnant that's left and God says to them, hey, listen, you're going to be there for the next 70 years and this is what I want you to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. See, a church plant is not a mere startup. It's not just some kind of church entrepreneurship program, though both of those things are required. It's more than that. It's embedding oneself into the lives and cultures of the people where God would call the planter to go and the people who go with him. Church planning requires not only good exegesis, that's just this fancy term for knowing how to rightly interpret that we use a lot to talk about interpreting scripture rightly. It doesn't just require being able to do that. It requires that the church planner is an exegete of the culture they're going into. They're able to see and know and understand where they're going, and what God would say to its people. And so initially, as I was thinking about what to preach from, and what text would encapsulate Church Planting Sunday, uh, I was actually leaning pretty heavily toward Acts chapter 17. Because in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul finds himself in the city of Athens, and as he looks around, he notices that the city is full of idols, And the Bible says that he was provoked in his spirit. And so he began to make his way into the Jewish synagogues. And he would go and he would reason with people in the Agora, the Greek marketplace, where it wasn't just goods and services that people trafficked in, but ideas. And he was doing this work of cultural exegesis. And he preaches one of my favorite sermons in all the Bible. He goes up to the top of the Areopagus, this place where all of the people would come together and he begins to tell them about Jesus. He begins to tell them about Jesus through the lens of their altar to an unknown God. And he's pointing out the foolishness of their idolatry. He's exposing what's false and highlighting what's true. That's what Paul does so well. And I love how he ends the sermon with this amazing declaration of the bad news so that he can turn right around and proclaim the good news. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not think of the divine being as being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man in the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That text from Acts in Paul's whole sermon and cultural exegesis, and as helpful as it is for knowing what church planning is and how to do it, and seeing some of the methods behind it, tonight I'm not talking to a bunch of folks who are getting ready to go out and plant a church. Maybe you'll be a part of one. Maybe God will call you to do that. And at that point, you'll need to spend some time thinking about Acts 17 and passages like it. Tonight, I'm talking to folks at Mercy View who are already part of a church that in many ways still is what it once was 12 years ago, a church plant. We have been planted, and our goal is to plant more churches. And the question that we need to answer tonight when we talk about church planting and think about it on Church Planting Sunday is not how or what, it's why. Why do we plant churches? You need to know the answer to that question because as we look at that compass that defines the cardinal directions of our mission efforts here and our effort to be obedient to the Great Commission, you need to know why church planning is a piece of the four things that we say we want to emphasize. Why is this thing that many Christians haven't heard of or thought about something that we find so important? Why are we committed to being a church planning church? I mean, church planning is hard, and it is getting harder. It's hard to plant churches in places like Albuquerque. That is what I took away from my conversation with Ryan. It's hard because it's a city that he describes as being almost pre-Christian. It's far enough away from the movement of the church in our country that the gospel never really came and took root there. And so he's having to do a lot of work that we don't necessarily have to do because there is no understanding of what the gospel even is in the broader culture. It's hard to plant churches in a place like rural New England. Like one of my favorite podcasts I listened to is some guys who were planning and replanting small churches in rural towns in New England that are close to the epicenter of the two great awakenings that happened in our country that impacted the entire world, yet it's a very post-Christian place where the trappings of the gospel exist, but they faded and no one seems to really care anymore. And it is hard to plant churches in a place like Tulsa. It is hard to convince people that planting a church makes sense in a city where literally the largest church in America has seven campuses. Why plant churches in any of these places? If it's such hard work, if it takes so much time and effort and energy, if it drains resources and it seems to make little sense to the people in a specific context, why do it? If you have your Bibles, I want you to leave them open there in Revelation 21. Because here in the second to last chapter of the Bible, we see one of the most beautiful pictures of what the future reality of the world will be. And it's in looking at that reality that we see the reason we plant churches. Three of them, actually. Three big reasons why we should continue to be a church that wants to see churches planted and why church plants need to still 
happen. Here's the first thing. We plant churches because the church points us to the new creation. This passage is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it's so full of hope. I find myself in moments where life is particularly hard, maybe grief or pain or, or sin or just really hard days have been pressing in around me. I think most often around the anniversaries of like the deaths of some loved ones, I find myself thinking about this passage because it's in this passage that I have hope for when that is no more. I keep coming back and back to it because it is what theologians have called for a long time our blessed hope. It gives us something to hold on to, to long for, to pray for. And it is also one of the primary reasons why we plant churches. And so look with me, starting back in verse 1 of what Marla read just a moment ago here in Revelation 21. And listen to how John describes what he saw and then what he hears this voice from the throne say. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And we have this progressive picture in Scripture that creation not only broke when sin entered the world, but it has continued to break again and again, on and on, as time has continued to march forward. And so Paul says in Romans 8 that all creation, it groans as in the pains of childbirth as it waits and longs for redemption. And what John sees here and describes for us is that all of that pain and all of that groaning is over. It's ended. It's new. It's faded away because the new, what will be, has come in this vision. And he says then that the sea is no more. And I'm sure that you've probably read that at some point or you heard it read tonight and you were like, man, I like the beach. Why is the sea no more? Like, why is that gone? Like, I'm personally a mountains guy. I would rather go there than the beach. But that's neither here nor there. The beach is cool. When we think about it, we think about hot days on the sand, some cool water we can go jump in, or walking along the beach at night, listening to the waves crash in. And the people that John's writing to don't think about that at all. They think about dread and darkness and death because the sea was unknown. We have, by and large, conquered the sea. We have luxury cruise liners that can hold thousands of people at a time that go out into parts of the ocean that people didn't even knew existed back then. And the picture that John's painting is that the death and chaos and darkness, all of the things that are unknown and that can destroy you, those are gone in Christ. It's completely done. And then he describes the holy city, New Jerusalem, as coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I was sitting in here earlier before service and, and uh, the pastor of, of Memorial was walking a young couple who were about to have a wedding through what it was going to look like and she practiced walking down the aisle. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably seen the beauty of a bride in her dress with her hair done and her makeup and just looking stunning walking down the aisle. But if you've been a groom in this room, 
then you know what John's saying even more because you've stood up here and you've watched as the woman that you love has been walking towards you more beautiful and more stunning than you have ever seen her. That is what John sees about this new city coming down from heaven. There's this newness and beauty, a peace to this picture that's only amplified by what happens next. As John stops describing and starts relaying what he's heard, we read... And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For former things have passed away. And then he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God will dwell with man. It's this callback to Genesis that John's audience, and hopefully a lot of us in here tonight, will recognize that there was a time when God used to walk in the cool of the evening with his created image bearers. He dwelled with them and he would come to them. And what John is saying is that all of the things that broke in the curse, even God walking face to face with his people is being remade. It's a picture of a world that isn't just pristine. It isn't just peaceful. It isn't just free from death, but a world where God dwells with us. And in this passage, John is showing us that the future reality is one where the reversal of everything that happened in the garden, when the world broke, is actually true. Creation ceases its groaning. Pain fades into oblivion. Teary eyes are dried, never to cry sadness again. And death, that enemy that will come for us all, is destroyed once and for all. And it's in this state of new creation and beauty that God once again walks with those made in His image. And you might be sitting there right now thinking, Trey, that is awesome. Thank you for telling us and explaining what's going on in Revelation 21. What does that have to do with church planning? And the answer is everything. Everything. It's in the church that God already dwells with his people through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that he had to go away so that the Spirit would come because it is better for the Holy Spirit to be dwelling in you than Jesus to be standing beside you. God dwells with his people through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. And we experience that in the church. It's in the church that we see death has already been swallowed up in victory as God gathers in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who, according to Ephesians 2, were dead in their trespasses and sins but have been made alive together in Christ Jesus because the death that doesn't get, the, the, the death that gets destroyed in Christ is not just physical death. We will experience that at the end of the age when Jesus returns, when the new heavens and new earth come. But right now, in the church, 
Those who are united to Christ have experienced resurrection from death to life. It's in the church that mourning and weeping, though it exists, is coming to an end. And rejoicing is breaking in. Because the one who mourns in the church has brothers and sisters, faithful and obedient to Christ, who enter into their mourning with them. We saw this in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And those who mourn who themselves are faithful and obedient to Christ in the church are able to rejoice even in the midst of their sorrow. It's in the church, the local church, a place like this, that pain is relieved through faithful friends who in obedience to Christ seek to bear one another's burdens. It's in the local church that the world that exists now gets a picture, as imperfect as it may be, of the world that will one day be when the former things have passed away. And we can be honest, like the church is far from perfect. Like you don't have to look far, even in our own church, to see our imperfections. Like every technical difficulty tonight is a microscosm of the fact that we ain't perfect. And we don't have it figured out. And the imperfections go deeper than that. That's superficial. But listen to me, there's not another community on the face of the earth that will love you as you are while helping you move toward what you were created to be in Christ Jesus. Free from sin. Love you as you are, but love you enough to help you move away from how you are now to what God desires for you to be, holy and righteous. All of those things we just mentioned, none of them None of them are able to be fully realized on your own. I heard someone say one time, there are no Lone Ranger Christians because God isn't calling you out of the kingdom of darkness into a you and your Bible kind of faith. He's calling you into his kingdom. And if you don't like people, I got some news for you. There's people in his kingdom. And you can't live life in Christ the way that he designs for you to live it apart from his church. And when you live life in Christ the way that he has designed, you experience a foretaste of the kingdom that is coming. And that's why we plant churches. We plant churches because there are places in our city, in our state, in our nation, and in our world where this vision of the life to come is not only not known, it is not experienced. And as we work to plant churches that plant churches, we are working to put on a microcosmic display of what all of creation is groaning and longing for. We plant churches because Everyone who has ever lived in this world will live forever in eternity. But, and this is the second thing we need to see tonight, not everyone will be in that beautiful city that John saw coming down out of heaven. We will all live forever, but we will not all live there. And so we plant churches 
because not everyone is going to be there. It's maybe the most important reason of all that should drive our desire to see churches planted. Look at verse 6. It starts positive and it's going to turn toward a very hard reality soon in verse 8. And he said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and in case somebody thinks they got away, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Unpopular opinion, scratch that, it's not an opinion, it's a fact because I'm reading it from scripture, right here. There are men and women who have lived throughout history and who you know right now that will not have a seat at the table or a place in the new heavens and new earth. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus offers to us in verse 6 to give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and yet there are those who will have their portion not in that spring of the water of life and will not have a seat at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Their portion will be not from the spring of life, but in the lake that burns with fire, in the second death. There are people who you know that will go through their life rejecting the spring of the water of life that is offered without payment. And when they finally realize they're hubris, it's going to be too late. And here's the thing, and this is why we plant churches. You don't know who they are right now. Oh, no, I got an idea. I know, I know some folks who are clearly drinking from that lake and not that spring of life, and that might be true today. Now, you might know all kinds of people who reject the gospel, but you don't know who tomorrow the Holy Spirit is going to open their eyes to see their sin and reveal to them their need for Jesus. And so we plant churches. We plant churches because there are people who will reject the gospel, die in their sin, and face the second death. But Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul says, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach to them? And how are they going to preach if they're not sent? And when I talk about preaching, I'm not talking about what I'm doing tonight or what Brad does when he stands up here. I'm talking about the fact that God is calling you to go and share the gospel with them. That's what Romans 10 is all about. What we do on Sundays and what churches do when churches are planted in cities is we train and equip the saints, you guys, to be about the work of the ministry Monday through Saturday. 
And then to come in here on Sunday and be trained and equipped. And when you go out and you share the gospel and the Holy Spirit does the work of bringing people from death to life. We plant churches so there's a place for them to go and be trained and equipped. To be fed and nourished. Will everyone listen? Will everyone see the beauty of Christ and turn from their sin? Unfortunately, no. But we plant churches because it's through the church that men and women, the men and women of God are trained and equipped and sent out. And that's how God's kingdom expands. When we, as God's ambassadors, that's what Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 5, we go and share the good news and plead with the world to come to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, he describes how we are as new creations in Christ Jesus. We've been reconciled to God, meaning that we were enemies and now we're friends. And we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. That is, as ambassador of Christ, God is making his appeal to the world through his church. And he's saying, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because in Christ, God was, not recon was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. See, the local church is like an embassy that sends out ambassadors of the kingdom. And so we plant churches because not everyone's going to be sitting at the table. But there are billions who will. And it is our role to gather them in. I'm going to land the plane right here. We plant churches, the last thing to see. Because one day we won't have to. In verse 22, we didn't read it earlier. John says... I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. You see, for centuries, God's people had at the center of their worship in the city of Jerusalem a majestic temple. And it was in that temple that the presence and glory of God dwelled. And in Christ, the presence of God was sent out from the temple into the whole world. But I can imagine that John, this is some sanctified imagination, this isn't in the text, but I can imagine that John, being a good Jewish boy, kind of expects there to be a temple in the New Jerusalem. And there's some shock when he sees that there's not one. There's no temple. There's no temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple. God is where worship happens in the omnipotent, omniscient, everywhere at once God dwells with his people and there's no need for a temple and there's no need for a synagogue and there's no need for a church. John Piper once said, I thought this was a great way to end this speaking about missions, that mission isn't the ultimate goal of the church. And I've taken this paragraph and I've modified it just a little bit um, for our purposes tonight, but um, this is what he said, and I've just replaced the word mission. Church planning is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. We plant churches because worship doesn't exist. 
Worship is ultimate, not church planning. Because God is ultimate, not us. When this age is over, and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, church planning will be no more. It's a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. And so friends, we plant churches today because in this broken world, we need to point to the new creation where everything that's broken is fixed and all the sad things come untrue. We plant churches because today there are people who are alive that we know that right now are drinking from the lake that burns with fire, but God is offering them water from the spring of life. And we need to tell them. And we plant churches because we're looking forward to the day we don't have to. When we will, together with all the redeemed, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let's pray this evening. God, we thank you.